Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, I'd like us to think a little bit about a beloved story by the great author J.R.R. Tolkien, that story being The Hobbit, uh, followed, of course, by The Lord of the Rings. And The Hobbit, being the first of the books in that series, starts this way. In a hole in the ground lived a hobbit. This hobbit was a very well-to-do hobbit, and his name was Bilbo Baggins. The Bagginses had lived in the neighborhood for time out of mind, and people considered them very respectable. Not only because most of them were rich, but also because they never had any adventures or did anything unexpected. This is a story of how a Baggins had a great adventure and found himself doing and saying things altogether unexpected. He may have lost the neighbor's respect, but he gained, well, you will see whether he gained anything in the end. Gandalf the wizard appears at Bilbo's door and speaks to him, saying, I'm looking for someone to share an adventure I am arranging, and it is very difficult to find anyone. Bilbo replies, I should think so in these parts. We are plain, quiet folk, and we have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things make you late for dinner. I can't think what anyone sees in them. We don't want any adventures here, thank you. You might try over the hill or across the water. By this, he meant the conversation was at an end. No adventures, thank you very much. The hobbits are people who are fond of peace and security, of eating and drinking. They are fond of their routine, of not being disturbed, and above all, being comfortable. They don't want to be stirred from the status quo, and they don't like anyone that comes in and meddles with them. And as I was thinking about this story, it reminded me very much of the journey that we see the Apostle Peter taking over the course of the gospel that we see at one of its high points in today's gospel reading. There are many unexpected journeys that take place in Tolkien's story. You see Bilbo, this hobbit in this comfortable area, being lured by Gandalf onto this adventure that utterly changes his life in ways that are beyond his imagination, taking him to places he never even knew existed, interacting with the leaders of the world, and helping to save Middle-earth through his following of Gandalf. And in a much more beautiful and profound way, we see the same thing happening in Peter's life. Peter takes several unexpected journeys, and the unexpected journeys that he takes are ones that stir him out of his comfort zone and out of the place that he and his family had known for generations and brings him onto the stage where God is working his purpose out for the glorious salvation of the world. So I want us this morning to look at four unexpected journeys. The first one is Peter and the disciples following Jesus. It is a most unexpected journey. These are fishermen who are there in Galilee. They are part of the fishing family. They have their boats. They have their nets. They have their family business. 
They know what their life is going to look like. They're going to enjoy being there on the Sea of Galilee and enjoying their family and making enough living to be comfortable, and no one ever expects that they will leave from there. But unexpectedly, Jesus comes on the scene and everything changes. He says to Peter, follow me. And Peter leaves his nets and his boats and his family business and his imagined future and goes off and follows Jesus. And he didn't really know what he was getting into. He knew probably that Jesus was a rabbi and he thought he might be a really good rabbi, but he probably had no idea about the radical difference in his future that this unexpected journey would make. And as Peter continues on that unexpected journey, he begins to embark on discovering more and more who Jesus is. He follows Jesus. He hears his teaching. He sees Jesus raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. He sees the feeding of the 5,000. And right after that, when Jesus gathers his disciples together and asks them, who do people say that I am? The disciples say, some say John the Baptist, some say the prophet, some say Elijah. And Jesus looks in at them and says, but who do you say that I am? Perhaps the most important question any of us can ever answer. And Peter blurts out, you are the Christ of God. Peter is the first one to recognize who Jesus is and the fullness of what that means as part of God's plan of salvation. It was an unexpected journey that Peter would be the one to proclaim who Jesus is. Jesus goes on to explain to them that he must suffer and die and be raised from the dead on the third day and that the disciples will need to take up their cross. He tells them whoever would lose his, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses it for my sake and the gospels will find it. And poor Peter, even in this moment of understanding who Jesus is, he takes Jesus aside and rebukes him because he hasn't figured out yet what it really means to follow Jesus. And so then eight days go past from that proclamation of Jesus being the Christ of God. Those eight days pass, and that brings us to the third unexpected journey the unexpected journey up the Mount of Transfiguration. And Luke tells us that this is eight days after that time that Peter has proclaimed who Jesus is. And this mountain trip is not what Peter expected that it would be. Just imagine the scene. Imagine they're getting up in the morning and Jesus saying to Peter, James, and John, let's go up the mountain today and spend some time in prayer. Imagine if you've been to the Holy Land, those beautiful mountains where it's cool up on top and there are beautiful views out over the countryside and the water. And so Peter and James and John are probably imagining a beautiful walk or hike up the mountain, some special time of fellowship and prayer with Jesus and with one another, and they are thinking this is going to be a great day and a nice break. So They go up the Mount of Transfiguration, but little do they know what is waiting for them there. And as we heard just a minute ago when this passage was read, and I invite you to look back at it in your bulletin, Jesus leads them up the mountain. And as they go up the mountain and Jesus is praying, something extraordinary happens. Jesus begins to glow from within. He shines. His garments become dazzling white and filled with light. 
And then in their glory, Moses and Elijah appear next to him. And the glory of the Lord is all over this entire mountaintop. And Moses and Elijah are speaking to Jesus about his departure. And Peter and the disciples are struck dumb with awe and wonder at what's going on. And I love the fact that Luke includes this. Just imagine being Peter. What in the world would you do if this happened? And Peter can't think of anything to say, so he says, let's build three tents. Let's just have a little Boy Scout camping trip up here. Let's build three tents, not knowing what to say. Many of us don't know what to say when we encounter Jesus, and it's a beautiful thing that the gospel includes that. But as the scene moves on, as they are dumbfounded and dumbstruck and awed by the glory of the kingdom of God, they are probably recalling the words that Jesus had spoken right at the end after Peter had proclaimed who he was when Jesus said, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And here Peter and James and John are seeing the kingdom of God bridging that divide between heaven and earth. And as they are there in this awe and glory, this cloud descends and they are afraid. And as the cloud envelops them as if that were not enough, they hear the voice of God speaking to them, speaking to them and saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. It is a beautiful moment because one of the things that we see here is that Peter, who had stepped way out on that limb of faith, saying, you are the Christ of God, before anyone else had said that, Peter, in his doubts but in his faith, now has Jesus show him the absolute truth of the statement that Peter had made, that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ of God, and the very voice of God testifies to it. And as we see this, it reminds us what a miracle the transfiguration is. Thomas Aquinas called the transfiguration the greatest miracle of all. It is one of the signal events in Jesus' life. His baptism, the transfiguration, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension. And we see here the voice of God speaking. The only other time we see that in Jesus' life is at his baptism, when Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit to begin his public ministry. And here the voice of God speaks again as Jesus prepares that most important part of his ministry to go toward Jerusalem, to go to the cross, to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And it is no accident that on the last Sunday of Epiphany, before we enter into Lent, this transfiguration gospel is always read to remind us that Jesus is preparing to go to the cross for us. So this unexpected journey, the last one, is this unexpected journey into seeing the kingdom of God, seeing it unfold right there, the confirmation of who Jesus is. Jesus and the disciples are there, and they are surrounded by the glory of God. They can see the kingdom of God. It confirms everything Jesus has told them about who he is. It confirms what Peter says, and it changed Peter forever. 
late in his life, we have a record from Peter in 2 Peter, that epistle, and listen to what Peter says here. For we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. My friends, that is transformation. Transformation and transfiguration. That word transfiguration is used very few times in the New Testament. And the other one is in 2 Corinthians when Paul refers to what will happen to us, to those who call on and believe in the name of Jesus Christ. When we come to that kingdom whose foundations cannot be shaken, we will be transformed and transfigured in that same way. And I would like to suggest that there are two profound implications for us today from this story. The first of those has to do with what true discipleship means. Peter might have been waffling in his discipleship, and he might have struggled for the rest of his days, but he had a certain understanding of who Jesus was, and he grew and grew in his walk in such a way that this Peter, who was the fisherman by the Sea of Galilee, ended up giving his life crucified upside down on a cross because of his faith. And it reminds me of the old song you might have sung at camp and that shows what might have been going through Peter's mind in moments of weakness. The song goes like this, Peter, Peter, what are you doing following that man? You gave up your life of fishing, but will it really last? You think about the way things might have been if you'd remained at sea. You'd still be a fisherman. Peter, you're such a fool. My friends, how often do we sometimes doubt and feel like Peter in those words, but like Peter, we should come back to that sure and certain knowledge of who Jesus is and the enduring nature of his kingdom. And for us today, I think this means two things. The first is that we need to think about what does true discipleship look like? It is all too easy for us to think that we are disciples when we are kind of along for the ride. It reminds me of that old bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot. And at first, that sounds really spiritual and good. But if you think about that, that means you're still in the driver's seat, you're steering, you're controlling the accelerator and the brakes, and you might be just turning to Jesus in the passenger seat, asking him to change the radio station. This is not what discipleship means. Nor is it what that old Doobie Brothers song said, Jesus is just all right with me, do, 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 do. (laughs) That is not what it means to be a disciple. Peter shows us what it means to be a disciple. And I'm reminded of a wonderful quotation I heard from uh, Barbara Boyd, who was a great Bible teacher with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship when Jane and I were in college. And she said this, 
She said, if the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 92 million miles, was the thickness of a piece of paper, the diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. And our galaxy would be less than a speck of dust in that part of the universe that we can see. And that part of the universe that we can see is just a speck of dust compared to all the universe. And if Jesus is the very Son of God who holds all of this together by his word of power, is he the kind of person that you invite into your life to be your personal assistant? Not so much. It is a reminder as we begin this journey of Lent to think about our discipleship and to look at Peter in that sure and certain hope that he has. I love what Tim Keller says about discipleship. He says, discipleship is not a matter of bending your will to Jesus' will. It is melting your heart into a whole new shape. Discipleship is not just a matter of bending your will to Jesus' will. It is melting your heart into a whole new shape. And the second implication of these unexpected journeys we see in Peter's life is the whole idea of a sure and certain hope. My friends, we live in a world that is beset with despair, where hope is hard to find. It is hard to come by. And yet, we as Christians are of all people the ones who should have hope, and we should be telling others what the reason for that hope in us is. Because if there was ever a time that the world needed that hope, it is right now. There's a beautiful quotation from that 19th century Bishop J.C. Ryle about the hope we have. He said this, We are told that when our Lord appeared in glory, Moses and Elijah were seen with him, standing and speaking with him. Moses had been dead nearly 1,500 years. Elijah had been taken up by a whirlwind from the earth more than 900 years before this time. Yet here, on the Mount of Transfiguration, these holy men were seen once more alive, and not only alive, but in glory. Let us take comfort in the blessed thought that there is a resurrection, and there is a life to come. All is not over when that last breath is drawn. There is another world, a land of pure delight beyond the grave. But above all, let us take comfort in the thought that until that day dawns and the resurrection begins, the people of God are safe with Christ. That is something we need to remember. Jesus does not offer false promises of world peace, He tells Peter and the disciples gathered on another mount later on that there will be wars and rumors of wars, troubles, calamities, and that would be just the beginning. And despite that chaos, Jesus tells us and tells those disciples that we are people of hope. Jesus says to them, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And that is the refrain of Christian hope. We do not hope for a particular future. We do not hope for what we in our limited wisdom believe would make everything right. 
Sometimes we may look at the headlines and think, well, God, you're not doing a very good job. Why don't you let me have a turn? But the fact of the matter is that we don't know everything that's going on. And we are assured by the faithful word of God and the testimony of the disciples, and most importantly, the testimony of Jesus, that we are to be of good cheer, for he has overcome the world. And the amazing thing is that 20 centuries have passed since Jesus said these words, and they still ring true. In every generation, there are wars and rumors of wars and terrible things happening. Yet through it all, it is true, Christ has overcome the world. And this means that he is on the throne of the universe. And it is no Pollyanna-ish hope that everything's going to be okay. It is a sure and certain hope, not because we hope for, but because we hope in. We hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is just like the Hebrew children who in that Old Testament story we know that they were in the fiery furnace. And God did not promise to deliver them out of the fiery furnace, but he came and was in the fiery furnace with them. My friends, Jesus will never leave us or abandon us. We do not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And whatever that means, it means that we are called to play our role not in the future that we had imagined a comfortable hobbit-like future, but that grand adventure, the one that Peter saw that took him from a mere fisherman in Galilee all the way through watching and being part of Jesus' ministry and then being transformed after the resurrection to preach the gospel so that many people's lives were turned and became part of the kingdom of God. A glorious, glorious, glorious destiny. We are to take that unexpected journey like Peter. Will you have the courage to do that? Because when we take that unexpected journey and look toward that kingdom that cannot be shaken, we will look, as Peter and the disciples did, on the glory of the kingdom of God, and we will say, all glory be to Christ our King. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we confess to you how addicted we are to comfort and the status quo. Lord, we pray that you would help us to have the adventurous and obedient spirit of Peter and the disciples who, when you said, follow me, followed, though they did not understand. And Lord, as we see you and understand the certainty of the glory of your kingdom, that we would be inspired by that sure and certain hope to live our lives as people of hope and faith, bearing the gospel of life, to a hurting and broken world through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.